John Bloom stated in an article titled, Not the Way It Should Be, from DesiringGod.org, that why is this world so profoundly and horribly broken? Why do we see death? Why do we see immense suffering? Why do we see people dying, murder, strife, envy, slander, deceit, lying? Why do we see all of this brokenness? And why do we intuitively and deeply feel that it should not be this way? The fact that mankind can't help but ask both questions is revealing. Modern man, they try as he, he might try to, con, he's going to try to convince himself of, of naturalism, that the world, oh, the world's not broken, it's, it's just brutal, that we are merely the products of a long, ruthless, organic competition for survival, that there is no objectively moral way the world should be. He cannot escape the instinctive sense that something here is deeply disordered. There's something about our life that ought to mean more than spawning more life and just appearing out of nothing. There's something about sickness that ought to be cured. There's something about calamity that ought to be prevented. There's something about injustice that ought to be brought to justice. There's something about death that ought not to be our ultimate end. There's something about death that ought not to be our ultimate end. And there's something about our own moral depravity that ought not to be a part of us. That dark dimension of us that history and headlines remind us has potential to turn into something just horrific if given rain due to human nature. And that makes us all for the Christian and even for the man that may not be a Christian to think about, man, what a broken world that we live on. But for the Christian, we long for forgiveness, redemption, and emancipation. We want to be free of this broken, shadowland, temporary world that we're in. So this morning, we're going to look at the creation. And we're going to look at the fall. In the beginning, God, as stated in Genesis 1, He created all. Day 1, God created light and separated the light from the darkness, calling light day and darkness night. Day 2, God created an expanse to separate the waters and called it sky. Day 3, God created the dry ground and gathered the waters, calling the dry ground land and the gathered waters seas. On day three, God also created vegetation, plants, and trees. Day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars to give light to the earth and to govern and separate the day and the night. These would also serve as signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Day five, God created every living creature of the seas and every winged bird, blessing them to multiply and fill the waters and the sky with life. Day six, oh boy. Day six, God created the animals to fill the earth. On day six, excuse me, God also created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he created them in his own image. He created man in his image 
And then from the image of man was created woman. And the woman was created to commune with Adam, with the man. And the humans are also created to commune with God. He blessed them and gave them every creature and the whole earth to rule over, to care for and cultivate. Day seven, God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested on the seventh day, blessing it and making it holy. So creation was when it was created. It was originally good. It was good when God created it. It's stated in Genesis 1.31 where it states, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Creation was good because at this point, it was sinless. It was perfect when God created it. For the Christian, I hope also that you understand, it will be made new. We get to look forward to that. And we get to look forward to him wiping away every tear. We get to look forward to being in a sinless, perfect, new heaven, new earth, one forever with Christ. No more sin. Aren't you tired of sin? Aren't you tired of living in a sinful, broken murdering, selfish world. If you don't think it's broken, just go flip on the news. They'll be sure to tell you everything that's wrong. Read a newspaper. Why do people do the things that they do? Why are people so harsh to one another? Why are people so rude? Why are people so selfish? Why is there murdering? Why is there gossiping? Why is there slander? Why is there lying? Why is creation so utterly broken but we get to look forward to one day it will be made new but let's look at our problem for this morning the worst problem of all time please open in your bibles to genesis chapter 3 verse 1 which is um on page 2 going into page 3 in your bibles right in front of you literally in the very first part of your bibles Our passage this morning explains all the problems in the universe. John MacArthur stated all the problems in our universe, whether it be physical problems, spiritual problems, mental problems, moral problems, social problems, economic problems, political problems. And if you do not understand the impact of sin, your worldview is misinformed. Especially if you're a Christian, your life is hopelessly incurable. So how can you be cured if you do not know what is being diagnosed? How can you have an eternal solution if you do not understand the eternal problem? It's much easier for humans to do evil than it is to do good. Even when we do good, we have the wrong motive. When we do good, it should only be for the glory of God, only for him seeing us doing good works, only for his glory. But so many people say, I want to do good things because it makes me feel good. Well, that flew away. Because it makes me feel good. That is once again another self-driven motive. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 3, but when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you help out people, don't go and say, look how much I did. I did all these things. You do it only for the glory of God. If you are humble, that means you don't go around telling people just how humble you are. When we pray, yes, it is good for us to pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We raise up our prayers to God because God loves being thanked because he's due us giving him thanks. But it would be hypocritical and wrong of us if we only prayed on a Sunday morning. A recurring action that Jesus Christ displayed for us when he prayed that he would go to solitude and he would spend time with God the Father alone. Jesus also said when you, when you fast, you, don't, you do it intentionally to spend time with God and prayer or maybe even the knowledge of God found in the scriptures. But it's not about making yourself all skinny and looking exhausted to tell others, oh, he must be fasting. Or, you know, I fast, which means that I'm more spiritual than you. That is wrong. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 17 and 19, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash off your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you serve, or if you obey Christ, or be sanctifying you. It is great that we can, we can share those victories with brothers and sisters in Christ. But number one, above all things, we should be doing those things and obeying solely for Christ alone. Not for human praise or make it about yourself. And so I hope that you see that for every sinful human being, we must continually be fighting against the flesh. We do such a great job of looking out for ourselves. We do such a good job of being selfish. Why are we like this? Why are humans so easily selfish and sinful? Why is our world so broken? Let's look at our text. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I want to preface this with God. He gave creation, all of it to Adam and Eve. But he said of this, he gave them a commandment. You do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From that tree, you do not eat. He gave them a commandment. But then the serpent slithered in and said, I'll repeat, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will truly be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit 
and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he being Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He being God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So we see here what what led to this. Deception from the serpent. Pride, which is at the root of all sin. And that pride of wanting to be equal to God, seeing that fruit glistening in the sun, of thinking they can be equal to their creator, led to temptation, temptation, temptation. It kept building up, right? It kept building up, which led to sinful thoughts, which then led to sin in action. What is sin? Todd Burrow describes sin as this. Sin is anything that takes God off of his throne and replaces him. In this moment, Eve valued herself more than obeying God. She put herself on the throne and Adam is just as guilty. Adam just sat there like a coward and let it happen because he too, deep down, probably also wanted to try the fruit. He was a coward compared to reminding Eve of the truth and leading his wife. Both were at fault. And the serpent was described as, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. David Guzik stated the serpent, the text here does not by itself alone clearly identify the serpent as Satan, but the rest of the Bible makes it clear this is Satan appearing in the form of a serpent. Ezekiel 28, 13-19 tells us that Satan was in Eden, and many other passages associate a serpent or a snake-like creature with Satan, such as Job twenty six thirteen, which states, By his meaning, God, when the heavens were made fair, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. In Isaiah 51, 9, which states, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? And Revelation 12, 9 states, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And Revelation 20 verse 2 states, And he seized the dragon, that ancient servant who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Ezekiel 28 tells us Satan before his fall that he was an angel. 
He was an angel of the highest rank and prominence. Even something of a a leadership of, of worship in heaven. Isaiah 14 tells us Satan's fall had to do with his desire and his pride to be equal to or greater than God. He's called the prince of pride. And that he wanted to set his will against God's will. He wanted the throne. And he deceived humans to also want the throne. The serpent, which is the form Satan used to talk with Eve... What is amazing is that even in this story of the greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy ever, this is why we see the brokenness. The fall led to all the brokenness and the sin and brought in death to creation. Sinful nature then has been passed down generation to generation from Adam's seed. But what's amazing is that even in the worst moment, in all of history, is that God still had grace on Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve for his, for, for his wife, He made for them garments of skins and clothed them, and He took care of them. He could have just said, Nope, I, I, I destroy everything. God had a plan to reveal His love He had a plan to reveal what he was going to do with this eternal problem, which, of course, we'll talk more about next week. Charles Spurgeon stated, we may not understand everything involved in the way Satan used the body of a serpent, but we can know it was true and there is no mere fable. It is idle to call the narrative of the fall a mere allegory. One had better say at once that he does not believe the book. But no, there was a real serpent as there was a real paradise. Creation was originally good. The Garden of Eden was originally good. And they were cast out from it. There was a real Adam and Eve who stood at the head of the human race. And they really sinned. So our race is really fallen. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? I would hope, compared to us being created by some sort of an accident or an explosion, why do we have morals, for example? That you would believe in a creator. If you're an agnostic or think there might be a God out there, I want to tell you that all the other religions, all other false gods are works-based. You earn your way to salvation, and it's all about yourself. And people are deceived because they want it to be about themselves. There is only one true almighty sovereign God who has done the work for us out of love and grace, which is why we are to respond with obedience due to what our God has done for us. So what has God done for us while we were still sinners that transgressed against a holy God? What did he do for us? Praise God that he will take care of Satan and demons. Praise God that there is a solution to this broken world problem, this eternal problem. And woe to the evil, unrepentant sinners 
So many do not understand why we as Christians have such an urgency to declare the good news. And if you don't and you're a Christian, I hope that you have an urgency to declare the good news. I hope that you would all be thinking of people you love that do not know the gospel, that do not know the good news. Proclaim it. Proclaim it because we do not know when either you will die, which is inevitable, inevitable, by the way, or if we are to be raptured and taken up to be with Christ. Due to Christ, only due to Christ, we can be saved from the fiery depths of hell and judgment. Due to Jesus Our sins have been paid for and we see the eternal solution. None of us are sinless. None of us are holy. None of us at our core are good people. All have sinned and transgressed against the holy almighty God. So pray for those people that come to your mind, if any. If you have family, if you have friends, if you have people you care about, then they do not know the gospel. Have an urgency Pray that God would speak through you to them. Take courage. Proclaim the gospel to them. We get so scared to share the gospel with somebody. Yet Jesus picked up his cross, denied himself, and was crucified for our sins, for us. What an amazing, amazing sacrifice that Jesus took the death that you owed for you. No greater love than one to lay down his life for his friend. Yet we're so scared to share the gospel. But look at what Jesus did for you. You will not be able to understand the gospel The good news, if you do not understand why it is good news, if you don't understand what you're being saved from, do you have an unsatisfied desire? Are you upset with the way that this life has gone? Seeing loved ones die, going through suffering, people are harsh to one another, people are murdered. Why do do we live? Just temporary highs? You get through work just to go get hammered drunk on a Friday to feel good? Then what? A hangover. And right back to the broken world, baby. And then you go on an expensive vacation. You travel in luxury. You have a great time. Then what? You want to go on another expensive vacation. You're not satisfied. And then you go back to being miserable and bitter. You live to leave a legacy that is praised by humans. Then what? Sure, you might get talked about for a couple hundred years. Then what? All you worked for and everything that you did was left here. If it is to live is anything else than to die is nothing but loss. But for the Christian, oh, what good news that you have. To live is Christ and then to die is gain. So to live for your money, your possessions... Everything you work so hard for, your vacations, it's all loss. It's meaningless, as stated in Ecclesiastes. 
Do you get the picture? All these things in this life are temporary and they do not satisfy. What satisfies? Really, what satisfies? What is the solution for the sin problem that has plagued us since Adam and Eve? How are we to live if we know the eternal solution? How are we to live then? To close, I want to share this, prop, this, this poem. Excuse me. I want to share this poem called My Friend by DJ Higgins that I hope will leave you here this morning with some urgency. It states, my friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. While on the earth, I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth, You never told me of your second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But now I learned. Now it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night. And yet you showed me not the light. You let me live, love, and die. And all the while you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life. And trusted you in joy and strife. Yet in coming to this end, I see you really weren't my friend. How many of your friends and family know that you're a Christian? Do you love them enough to tell them why you live life the way you do? What your hope is in? Why you believe? Do you really believe what you believe? And if you do, I beg you to share it with people. Jesus said in Mark 8.38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Why can we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? What proof, what event do we trust in? We're going to look at that next week. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so thankful that even though that we live in such a sinful, broken, wicked world, that we have hope that we get to look forward to what is next. We get to look forward to real, eternal things. Help us have joy, even though this life can be so very hard. We're faced with trials. We're facing temptation every day. We see the world that is so just utterly broken. Humans that are so utterly broken. So I pray that when we leave here that we would have an urgency to share the good news with with people. It is by grace that we have been saved. Father, you did the work.
It is finished. I pray, Lord, that we would not be afraid to suffer a little while in this life because of how much Jesus suffered to earn our salvation. And we get to look toward eternity with you where there is no brokenness, where there is no more sin, but there will be joy. That we will get to experience the new creation. And also, Lord, that we get to be with you like it was in the beginning with Adam and Eve. We get to fully be with you. We get to look forward to that. I pray, Lord, that this joy of the good news that would pour into our everyday lives and that due to the grace that we've been given by you that we could also show grace on other people that don't deserve it. But that we would give it anyways due to the grace that you've given us. Help us to love well. Help us to love with humility, grace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Help us to bear fruit of the Spirit. Help us to be sanctified by the knowledge of your word. Help us to care about this above anything else. Help us to prioritize and idolize only you at the very top. We thank you for your grace once again that it is amazing. Help us to love the way that you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.